Will you please turn to Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 12. Just the first part. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 12, the first part. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1, from verse 9. Through verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And having said these things, he, that is our Lord Jesus, was taken up, they beholding him, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing into heaven, as he was going, behold, also two men stood by them in white clothing, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do ye stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, shall thus come in a manner in which Ye have beheld him going into heaven. And then the gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, verse 36. Luke, chapter 21, verse 36. Watch, therefore, praying at every season, that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things which are about to come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And finally, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. He that testifies these things says, Yea, I come quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May we have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, as we gather together this morning in thy precious and glorious name, 
we are assured that thy presence is here with us. We do realize, Lord, we are standing on holy ground. We do remove our shoes, standing before thee as thy bond slaves, looking to thee, listening to our master's voice. Speak, thy servants hear it. We ask in thy precious name. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, we do thank the Lord for gathering us together in this most critical moment. We do feel that it is his grace and mercy that he shall privilege us even at this hour, late hour, to have the opportunity maybe the last to be prepared for our Lord's imminent return. It is the prayer of our hearts that is waiting for and hastening the return of our Lord is not just a theme that we consider together. Our prayer is that this may be a reality, a fact in each and every one who is redeemed of the Lord. This morning we were like to consider together, dear brothers and sisters, on this matter of the prospect of his second coming. We all realize that in the fullness of time, God has sent his Son into this world. Born a woman, Born under law, that he may deliver us from the bondage of law and to receive sonship. How we praise and thank him, how we appreciate what he has done for us over 2,000 years ago. He came. The Word became flesh. Tabernacle among men, full 
of grace and truth. In his first coming into this wicked, corrupted world, he came first of all to declare his father. In John chapter 1 verse 18 we are told no one has ever seen God but the one who is in the bosom of the father declares him. Thank God he came to declare his father to who to show us who God really is, how he is full of compassion, full of love, willing to forgive and to save. He came into this world to proclaim the gospel to the needy, to the poor, to the meek. We are told in Isaiah chapter 61 how God anointed him to proclaim the gospel to the meek, to free the prisoner To declare the day of Jubilee. And this was literally fulfilled at the coming of our Lord Jesus into this world. We know that when he began his ministry in Nazareth, he went into the synagogue. And as the custom of that day, he was given a screw, Isaiah, and he opened it and found the place of Isaiah 61, and he read it. How he was anointed from above, how he came to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to set the prisoner free, and to announce the day of jubilee, the day of liberation. But thank God, he didn't finish that sentence. He stopped at the announcement of the jubilee without going into the day of judgment, the day of vengeance. He folded up the scroll and he said, this is fulfilled today. How he praised and thanked thee that we have the gospel. He came to say, 
to save the lost. He came to set us free that we may be redeemed. And then he went to the cross. He was crucified in our stead. He who was sinless was made sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God. Dear brothers and sisters, when we review what our Lord Jesus has accomplished for us at his first coming, how we owe our very life, our everything to him, we are grateful. We thank him, we thank him, because on Calvary's cross, he bore our sins in his body. How he suffered there, not only from the hands of man, from the attack of darkness, but even at the last hours, he was forsaken by the Father for our sake. He said, he shouted before he died, it is finished. Dear brothers and sisters, how sweet is that sound. It is finished. That he, which he was commissioned by his father to do in his first coming, is all fulfilled. It is done. And this is proven by his being raised from the dead and is taken up to heaven. He is now seated with his father on that throne above. He is seated because the work is done. Brothers and sisters, so far as the work of redemption is concerned, so far as our Lord Jesus in his first coming into this world is concerned, he has done everything, all, and it is finished. We are the recipients of his work, his finished work. No more condemnation. We are redeemed. We become the children of God. Praise God.
he has done it. So the question is, brothers and sisters, since it is finished, during his first coming, he has done everything that is needed to be done and fulfill it. Then, the question here is, why should he come again? Have we ever thought of this question? Why should our Lord Jesus, who has finished his mission at his first coming, and he must return the second time? Why? The only answer lies in this matter of God's eternal purpose. Brothers and sisters, even before the foundation of the world, even before time was, in that eternal past, God the Father has a purpose. He purposed in himself. He purposed according to his good pleasure. That is what pleases him. And everything he did, doing, or will be done, is all according to that purpose. And what is that purpose? In other words, even before the foundation of the world, God Purpose, a purpose. And throughout the time, he is working out that purpose. He has never deviated from that purpose. He is working towards it until it is done. So the important thing, brothers and sisters, is for us to understand that purpose. If we do not understand God's eternal purpose that governs all his doings, we will never be able to really know God, know his heart, and we will never be able to cooperate with him. So we find in Ephesians chapter 1, 
And I think it's good for us to turn to it. Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe we'll read from verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself for the administration of the fullness of time, to head up or to sum up all things in the Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. In him is home. We have also obtained an inheritance, being marked out beforehand according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, even before time was, God has already a purpose in his heart. And that purpose is concerning his beloved son. Our God has a beloved son. His whole love is centered upon that son. And he loved his son so much. He wants to give to his son everything. And in that purpose, he wants his son to sum up all things. Things in the heavens and things upon the earth. He wants to gather together everything in heaven and earth, everything that you can think of. That his son may head up, may sum up. In other words, that everything will declare the glory of his son. Everything will be yielded, subjected to his beloved son. And it is only according to that eternal purpose that he started to create. Brothers and sisters, have we seen today all things being under the feet of our Lord Jesus? True, he has ascended up on high, seated at the right hand of his Father. But there he is waiting 
to see that everything is subjected unto him. So, brothers and sisters, there is something that is not yet finished. Even though in his first coming, he did finish everything that he was sent by his father to do. He laid the foundation of everything. But so far as the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, there is something still waiting. In the eternal purpose of God, man is involved. Because God created man in his own image, according to his own likeness. And we will wonder why. Why of all the creations, angels included, nothing but man was created in the image of God and according to his likeness. This is because he wants man to be his son's bride. He wants man to be his son's life companion. He knows his son wants to share all that the father has given him with somebody. That is the heart of the son. The heart of love. So he created man according to that purpose. But dear brothers and sisters, Look at the situation of man. When he came the first time, according to the Gospel of John, he came as a bridegroom, looking for his bride. John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom, preparing his way. But when our Lord Jesus came, looking for his bride, what did he find? If we read the Gospels, it is as if all he met were people sick, deaf, lame, crippled, paralyzed, leper, dying, dead. How could man in that condition be the bride 
of God's beloved Son, who is holy, righteous, pure, glorious, full of love. Brothers and sisters, we may wonder why in the Gospels, when our Lord was on earth, everywhere he went, he found those who are poor, sick, weakly, dying. That is man's condition. That is why he came to save the lost. He came to rescue man, to make us suitable to him, to transform us and conform us to his own image that he may have us as his bride. If we read Ephesians chapter 5, you will find that the Bible tells us how he loved the church and gave himself for her. How he washes it with the water and the world, and try to make her without spot, without wrinkle, without any of such thought, holy and blameless, that she may be fit to be his bride. That is the purpose of God. Brothers and sisters, has that being fulfilled? True. Our Lord Jesus has come, died on the cross, bore our sins. We are redeemed. We are saved. We have eternal life. But where are we today? Have we been transformed Have we taken up the image of our beloved Lord? Are we still our old self, Adamic life? Brothers and sisters, something has to be done. Something has to be realized before God's purpose concerning the church can be fulfilled. Look at the world today. Is the world getting better? Or is it getting worse? We find sin. Violence, lawlessness, 
everywhere. True. According to Ephesians, Colossians, chapter 2. According to Colossians chapter 1, we find in verse 20, And by him to reconcile all things to itself, having made peace by the blood of his cross, by him, whether the things on the earth or the things in the heavens. In other words, our Lord Jesus on the cross, by the blood of the cross, he has reconciled all things to itself. And the word itself, if you read the antecedent, it refers to his fullness. One day, all creation, all the things in heaven and the earth will be reconciled, will be restored, will enter into the fullness of Christ. That is to say, everything will manifest Christ. All the animals will manifest Christ. All the birds will manifest Christ, singing his praises. Brothers and sisters, has that happened yet? It is true he has reconciled by the blood of his cross. The foundation was already led. But the work is not finished yet. God is still working towards that purpose. Think of Israel, the chosen people of God. God has made a covenant with them through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But brothers and sisters, if we read Isaiah chapter 2.
Isaiah chapter 2. Now maybe we can read from verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the end of days that the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall come forth the law, and Jehovah's word from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall reprove many peoples, and they shall forge their swords unto plowshares, their spears unto pruning knives. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Now, brothers and sisters, is the covenant of God with his chosen people be fulfilled? Today, if we turn to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, of this mystery, that ye may not be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened in Israel until the fullness of the nations become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. According as it is written, the deliverer shall come out of Zion and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is the covenant from me to them when I shall have taken away their sins. Now, brothers and sisters, has all Israel been saved yet? Something is still waiting to be finished. Now look at Satan and his evil power. What happened to them? You know, our Lord Jesus says in John chapter 12, 
when he will be lifted up, Satan, the God of this world, will be cast out. And in Colossians chapter 2, it said, He will lead all the principalities, authorities, lead them as captives, and make a public show by it. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, he has not only forgiven our sins, he has not only reconciled the world, but he has also cast out Satan. Instead of being the God of this world, he has been cast out. And all his evil powers has been taken captive. And God has already made a public show of them by the cross. But brothers and sisters, if you look at the world today, in that unseen world, you find Satan is still very active working. His forces seem to be dominating the world. What happened? He's making his last struggle. The day is coming when he shall be cast into the lake of fire. But Lord, something is still being done. Now in view of all these things, in the eternal purpose of God, we can see very clearly that even though in the first coming of our Lord Jesus, he has indeed finished the work that he was sent to do. But there he was just laid the foundation. So far as the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, something more has to be done. And brothers and sisters, that is the reason why we find in the word of God that the coming of our Lord Jesus is in two, two stages. In other words, 2,000 years ago, in the fullness of time, he came to lay the foundation and then again, in the fullness of time, he will come to sum up all things, things in the heavens and things upon the earth, in himself. His coming again is a must. You know, when the Jewish people 
read the Old Testament. The Pharisees, the rabbis, they were so familiar with the Old Testament. You know, we feel ashamed because when King Herod asked them, where will the Savior, the Messiah, be born? Now immediately, without consulting concordance, now that's what we will do. They were answered that he shall be born in Bethlehem. And that is recorded in the Minor Prophet. But one thing puzzled them. When they read Isaiah chapter 53. And I think, beloved, that we all are familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. We find there one who bore our sins, carried our iniquities. One who was crushed even by God. One who suffered so intensely, so fully. And yet he was supposed to be the Messiah. The Pharisees, the scribes, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't understand why their Messiah, whom they were waiting for, must be a suffering Messiah. It was beyond their understanding. They couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. So they try other ways to explain it. Will it be Israel? Or will it be something else? But they will not recognize that this is a prophecy about their Messiah. What they rejoice in it is not Isaiah 53, it was Isaiah 63. Now, if you turn to Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this that coming from Edom with deep red garments from Bozrah, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore is redness in thy apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the peoples not a man was with me. And I have trodden them in my anger, and trampled them in my fury. And thy blood 
their blood is sprinkled upon my garment, and I have stained all my apparel. And the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redeemed had come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold, and mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I have trodden down the people in my anger, and made them drink in my fury, and their blood have I brought down to the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, to the Jews at that time, they believed in a conquering Messiah. A Messiah that will come and redeem them. A Messiah that will come and make them the first of the nations. How do you reconcile these two sides of the same Messiah? And again you read Psalm 22. I believe we are all familiar with Psalm 22. And there you find David said of one who will suffer so much. It was some suffering that was unknown at that time because crucifixion actually was invented by the Roman Empire. But there you find a prophecy prophesying of one who will suffer and the suffering described there cannot fit in with any kind of suffering but crucifixion but at the same time in Psalm 2 if you read if you turn to Psalm 2 Why are the nations in tumultuous agitation? And why do the people meditate a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the princes plot together against Jehovah and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that dwelleth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then will he speak to them in his anger, and in his fierce displeasure will he terrify them. And I have anointed my king upon Zion, the hill of my holiness. I will declare the decree. Jehovah has said unto me, Thou art my son. I this day have forgot begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee nations for an inheritance, and for thy possessions the ends of the earth. Thou shalt break them with a scepter of iron, as a potter's vessel. Thou shalt dash them in pieces. And now, O king, be wise, be admonished, ye judges of the earth, 
serve Jehovah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and he perish in a way, though his anger burn but a little. Blessed are all who have their trust in him. So even in the book of Psalms, you find these are the two sides. In some two you have the conquering king, but in Psalm 22 you have the suffering Messiah. In the Old Testament, there are so many numbers of prophecies concerning not only the first coming of our Lord Jesus, but also his second coming. Then, of course, when our Lord Jesus was on earth, You know, he likes to speak parables. And this is because of the unbelief of man. But thank God, to those who believe, he will open up his parables and to show us the depths of his secret. We are all familiar with the terrible parables of our Lord Jesus. You remember in the parable about the talents in Matthew chapter 25? How the master called his servants and gave them talents according to their ability, some five, some two, some one, and then the master went away. When he returned, his servants came to him and gave their account. And we all remember how the five earned five more. The two earned two more. But the one buried his talent. So here you find that even in that parable, the Lord was showing us that he will be going away. And during the time of his absence, those who are his servants are supposed to be diligently involved with his business. And the same thing you find in Luke chapter 21, uh, 19, chapter 19. The Minas, the master was leaving for a long time. And he gave his properties to his ten servants. Everyone at one Mina. But after a long time, he returned. And they all come and give 
their account. So, brothers and sisters, in the parables, you find a number of these parables. Give us a hint that he will come again. And his coming again is very, very important. But that will, that will be the conclusion of everything. And then we all remember his Olivet Discourse. Before he died, you remember, one day he and his disciples coming out of Jerusalem after they had visited the temple and then on the way out his disciples showed the Lord how beautiful, how glorious, gorgeous is that temple. But our Lord Jesus said quietly, the day will come where no one stone will be upon another stone. When the disciples heard that, I think they were shocked. Because to the Jews, the temple is eternal. That is the dwelling place of God. How can it be destroyed and utterly destroyed? Not one stone upon another stone. That is unbelievable. But they dare not say anything on the way. After our Lord Jesus took them to Mount Olive and he sat down. And you remember four of his closest disciples came in very quietly and asked very softly, where shall it be? And you remember our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, 25? He gave the Olivet Discourse. And during that time, he told about his coming. Parousia. As the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Now the word coming there is parousia. Parousia in the Greek means presence. Because at that time he knew he will be absent very soon. He will be leaving his disciples. He will be returning to his father. But he promised he will come again. As the days of Noah so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. As the day of Lot, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Perusia. Those who really know Greek tells us Perusia means presence. And the word presence indicates 
a period of time, including a series of events. Parousia is not just one event. Parousia is not just happened at one time. Parousia covers a period of time and it includes a series of events. Parousia has a beginning. Parousia has an end. And dear brothers and sisters, this is the reason why you find people today when we are talking about the second coming of our Lord Jesus. We are so confused. As a matter of fact, in the early centuries, maybe 18 centuries, maybe before that, the hymn writers, when they are writing about the coming of the Lord, you know what they were saying? They were saying, one day the trumpet will sound. One day there will be a shout, the voice of the angels, and our Lord Jesus will come with millions of angels in glory. And this is the day we are waiting for, brothers and sisters, to speak very frankly, it's a little bit too late. Does that shock you? No. Because Perusia is a period of time it covers a number of events. Remember, in Acts chapter 1, our Lord Jesus with his disciples were on the Mount of Olive. And there they saw our Lord Jesus was taken. And all the eyes of the Galileans, looking up, looking up, seeing him gradually ascending. And then a cloud came. He was taken up with a cloud. They couldn't see him anymore. But they are still looking up, looking up. And Acts tells us, two men in white appeared. And say, man of Galilee, why are you looking up? Don't you know that one who is taken up, he will come back in like manner. In other words, when our Lord Jesus was taken up, he was taken up in two stages. The first stage from Mount Olive to the cloud, visible. The second stage from the cloud to the throne, invisible. How do we know that he had arrived at the throne? 
Maybe those who do not believe will say like the sons of the prophets telling Elijah, maybe God took him and cast him into some mountains. Brothers and sisters, no. He arrived at the throne. Now how do we know? Where is the proof? Twofold. Number one. The Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. How did it happen? Because when our Lord Jesus was taken up to the Father, the Bible tells us he was anointed to be Lord and Christ. It is as if oil has fallen upon the head of Aaron and it comes down covering the whole body. Brothers and sisters, when our Lord Jesus was ascended to the throne, the Father poured the Holy Spirit upon him, anointed him as the head of all things. And now, on the day of Pentecost, that all flowed down to the body. And it is still being flowing down to every member of the body of Christ. Thank God for that. That's the proof. Number two, if you read Revelation chapter 5, you will find the Lamb newly slain standing before the throne and took the screw from God's hand and opened the seal to reclaim the world to himself, to bring all things under his feet. So we know that he has arrived. Brothers and sisters, do you wonder why is it we find two signs of his coming. In Matthew chapter 25 verse 27, our Lord Jesus told his disciples, the day will come saying when people will say, Christ is here, Christ is there. Don't believe it. Because when he shall come, he will come as a lightning that shines from the east to the west. In other words, everybody will see him. This is the fulfillment of what he said. He will come with his myriads and angels in glory. And he will come to judge the world. Brothers and sisters, he will come as a lightning. Everybody will see it. But in the same chapter, verse 37, it says, he comes like a thief. Two may be sleeping. Two may be grinding the meal. 
two may be working in the field. One is taken, one is left. Watch, for you do not know when the thief will come. If you watch, then you know. Brothers and sisters, may I ask you, does the thief, before he comes, he will blow the trumpet and he will say, I'm coming. Strangely, the thief seems always know when you are not watching. He will come and steal away. Your garbage? No, your treasure. So, brothers and sisters, you will find Perusia has a beginning, has an end. The beginning, he will come like a thief. Suddenly, all over the world, because the world is round, some are in midnight sleeping. Some are in the early morning grinding the meal. Some are at noontime working in the field. The two represents the saints who are living at the time of the coming of the Lord. Throughout the centuries, even in the first century, brothers and sisters, those who loved the Lord, they waited for his coming. During the second, first and second century, when the Christians were under persecution, they greeted each other, say, the Lord is coming. But he didn't. Every century, every generation, those who love the Lord waited for his coming. He could come in the first century. He could come in the 20th century. He could come at any time if the fullness of time has come. If his bride is ready, the bridegroom will come. Dear brothers and sisters, we are living at this critical time. It is the most dangerous time. Almost midnight. It is difficult to stay awake. But he's coming. One day, may it be today, suddenly, by the grace of God, if we all disappear, Taken. 
to the throne. That's Revelation chapter 12. The man child. Brothers and sisters, the dragon, the enemy. Today, does not care about so-called Christianity. What he really cares is the man-child going to be born. He wants to swallow that man-child because that man-child mocks the beginning of his end. Thank God when a man-child is born, immediately he is taken where? To the throne. This is what we are really concerned with, brothers and sisters. Are we waiting, hastening the coming of the Lord? This is why we are here. We are not here seeking for glory, for reward. No. We are seeking to be the ones who prepare his coming. As in the days of his first coming, You found Zechariah and Elizabeth, old couple. You find Joseph and Mary. You find Simeon and Anna. Here and there, a few, but they are waiting. For the Messiah. Are we among those people? What shall we do? In First Thessalonians chapter one verse ten, these Thessalonian believers they turn away from their idols. They believe in the Lord Jesus, and they await His coming. Has he not delivered us 
from idol worship. Anything that rivals the Son. Has he not saved us and redeemed us for himself? Are we waiting for his coming? Are we watching? Like a pure virgin, watching for her beloved. Are we watching? Are we so occupied with our own things, with many things in this world, and our heart being enticed? Just like Luke twenty one thirty six. Watch and pray that we may be delivered from all these things and to stand before the presence of our beloved. Dear brothers and sisters, the pressing question is are we privileged to be the people, the welcoming party, as it were, for the coming? Must we be left behind? May the Lord prepare our hearts. Let us pray. Oh, our God, our Father, we are amazed at thy glorious purpose, which thou hast purposed even before the foundation of the world, and thou hast not deviated from it ever since. We thank thee for Thelotus for sending thy son 2,000 years ago into this world to lay the foundation and Lord we know you are coming back to finish it up. Do have mercy upon us that we may not be a careless, slumbering, lazy, unfaithful servants 
Oh, dear Lord, touch our hearts. Enabling us to lay aside all weights and scenes that easily entangles us. Set our heart totally to his dear Lord. Oh, our beloved, come. We are waiting. Take us, Lord, to yourself. We ask in thy precious name. Amen.